0: Hello, Tom. Hey, Marty. Okay, our first live conversation. Yes. Oh, my God, you've got a lot of books.
1: Yeah, the top row, actually, about a third of them I'm in, so it's a good start. You're mentioned in the books? No, I've, I've written chapters for the books. So, uh all these, these, and this one. I think that's not the total of the stuff that I've done, but that's like a couple of years' worth. So, I <laughs> can get them down and show them to you if you want.
0: I just pressed the button. Okay, how many of those books on the top have you wrote chapters for? Uh,
1: This one was my first Divine Action Natural Selection. These two, and these two. And I think I'm missing a couple, actually. But yeah, anyway.
0: Every time I talk to you, I feel dumber and dumber. It's like, if I want to know something, I I don't think I can mention anything that you don't already know. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think you've got to remain
1: curious. That's the, that's the nature of the world. You know, you've got to remain mentally active, mentally interested. Otherwise, you know, there's so much stuff to know. I mean, this is the, this is the thing. There's so much stuff to learn about. There's so much stuff to understand in terms of contradictions, all this kind of stuff. So, you know,
0: keep mentally active. I've tried, but my generation's very, very. Not into that. Well, you have a luxury, because, I mean, when I... Well, actually, when I was your
1: age, I was in this country, but up until the age of 15, I didn't own a computer. I had to go into the local university, and it required me writing a lot of stuff down and reading a lot of stuff, and the actual interface for the machine was a very limited amount of time. So,
0: My generation versus your generation, (laughs) Well, uh, there's certainly plenty, I mean, you know, there are
1: plenty from both generations that we shouldn't really affiliate with, so I, I don't necessarily know whether it's a generational thing, but, yeah,
0: keeps me off the streets. I am just awestruck by how intelligent you are, it's just like, it blows my mind, it's like being hit with a brick wall damn near every single time I talk to you.
1: Well, I don't think it's, I mean, there are things that I've done, I don't think in terms of natural intelligence... You know, I've I've just used what I've had, and I've used it to get out of certain predicaments I found myself in, and now I find myself talking to you. So I think everyone is given a certain amount of uh, tenacity, and you can choose to use that tenacity to, you know, Mm -hmm. learn stuff or sit in front of the television or do a variety of things. And I've just tried to use that tenacity to have some degree of understanding.
0: Mm like my tenacity recently has been away from the YouTube videos and been trying to learn the codes for these different video game making programs. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Yes. Yeah, I'm now officially an indie game developer. I've got all the programs that I need. I I do have a few resources that I still require in order to finish up what I'm doing, but so historically,
1: I used to give people such as yourself a membership to the International Game Developers Association, because that used to be a really good way of kind of networking with other game developers and kind of getting a perspective on the industry. And I don't mind getting you, in fact, I will now I've said it, but I'm not really sure what the International Game Developers Association is anymore, although I continue to remain a member and continue my dues, basically, but it gives you some degree of insight into the industry. Well will I about
0: that, Cam. Certainly. Anyways, uh, yeah. Well, I wanted to do a video with you about the way things are now versus the traditions of old. Like, Mm -hmm. you see, within the past 50 years especially, and within that 50-year time span, 25, and within that 25, it seems like maybe it's because I've been most aware, within the last 10, just traditional values have been going down and people have been embracing new ideas. Some of which I find to be, okay, yeah, I can understand that. That sounds like a great idea. Other which is like maybe we should look the history and see how that worked well and you'll understand why i'm against it well the concept of
1: traditional values is an interesting thing so what we consider traditional values have really only existed some of them in the past 20 years some of them in the past 50 years but when people say traditional values particularly in this country they mean a wide variety of things that you know some of which can be linked back to tradition but some of them come from you know the mid to late 80s so, when you say traditional values here, I'm not really clear what you mean, so it might be good to give a definition associated with traditional values in this context.
0: Okay, one idea of traditional values, like, uh, the woman stays at home, the man goes out and works, mm-hmm. some hours, gay marriage is a no-no, gays in general, whatever, what not, me, I personally don't have any... Mm-hmm. Care someone's gay or whatever. Mm
1: -hmm. You do feel particularly strongly about abortion, however, which is an interesting Uh, case, in fact.
0: Yeah, I'm a conundrum of different thoughts and opinions. Like Most people think I'm just insane by how I view things, but no, I'm just a mixture of different views and opinions compiled into one unique setup. Mm -hmm. But another thing was, like, I was talking to some people about a recent TYT video that they did, was uh, they were talking about Adam Lanza, that guy who went nuts in, uh can't remember if it was Sandy Hook or uh, Newtown, Connecticut. Oh, God, my brain's all scattered with all these recent shootings. It's Sandy, it's Sandy Hook. Yeah. yeah. They had pictures of him when he was a baby. He's in these camo... This little camo outfit. I mean, he looks like a little itty-bitty soldier. Mm-hmm. He's got an ammo belt for, like, you know, your fully automatic machine guns. Mm-hmm. A couple rifles in the background. He's got a gun, and he's teething it. Mm-hmm. The gun he was teething was obviously fake. I mean, I mean, nobody else would have understood that. I mean, if you're not into guns like I am, then you probably wouldn't have been able to tell the difference. I mean, it, it looked like the, a rubber to- chew toy that you'd give your dog because, well, there are gun rubber chew toys for dogs. <laughs> the ammo belt, I couldn't tell if that was real or not. The guns in the background, yeah, I could tell that was, those were real. And they're looking at it as like, this is disturbing. This is horrible. And yet me, you know, I live in this rural neighborhood where pretty much everything's country is. All hell. Mm. Stereotypical hillbillies, things of that nature. Okay, maybe not these stereotypes, not... (laughs) I mean, about equivalent to the Doug Dynasty guys. Yeah. Living all around here. Yeah. It's interesting (laughs) because the
1: more that I hear about this case, you wonder about parenting and criminal responsibility for the parents. But I think the, the nature of this case in particular, the mother appears not to have wanted to give him... I know you're generally anti... You know, antipsychotics and these kind of medications. But if there were ever an individual that needed these kind of drugs, Adam Lancer is probably one of those people. In this case, however, unlike a number of other cases where they have been on antipsychotics and have gone and shot up schools and what have you, in this case he wasn't on antipsychotics and his mother appears to have placated all his bad behaviour up until the point where he went out shooting people.
0: Well, I've actually heard another story from somebody else by the name of Gerald Salente, where he said that the guy was on antipsychotics.
1: Well, and the, that there, the police released stuff says that his mother had refused antipsychotics, and when he went to a psychiatrist for treatment, she basically pulled him away as soon as the psychiatrist prescribed antipsychotics. That was in the most recent police documents that have been released, the, you know, thousand-plus pages or whatever.
0: I heard from the TYT videos uh, around 7,000... Yeah, ages or photos, and one of them was that picture of the little kid with. A, mm-hmm. <sighs> I tend to look at that as more the parents' fault. Now I still don't think that antipsychotics were the right choice.
1: Well, active now, active contact with psychiatrists would have been really very useful over this period of time, <laughs> uh, <laughs> irrespective of whether he <laughs> took the medication or not. So yeah,
0: yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. There, like a lot of my friends that I know, they probably would have gone off the deep in some way, shape, or form had they not visited the right people. Now, going back to my whole traditional value idea, the young kid portion that I was trying to get out to, a lot of the people I know around here, in fact, there's a uh, gas station right next door to me. They have been teaching their kids about guns and gun use since around that age. How many shootings have there been in my town, in my area, in my county? There have been two that I can mention. There have been two that happened within the last two decades that I remember. And they both happened very recently. One of which is uh, a guy that I told you that I knew personally. He actually lived here in my house for a while, and that was that soldier by the name of Jameson uh, mm-hmm. Reeves. I still haven't got to visit him, and I still wonder what the hell happened to him. I need to visit his brother one of these days, but it's a long walk. Yes. yes. And the other guy, I knew nothing about the case other than the gun that they used was a twenty-two calibers single action single action army uh, revolver mockup. Pretty much just a clone of it. And the guy turned himself in sometime later, and his wife, who had actually drove him to the place to go you know, kill the guy, got nothing. <laughs> yeah, kind of interesting how the law works at times. So she's an accessory to murdering, yet he turns himself in. She gets nothing, and I don't know what he got, but I know he got the book thrown at him pretty hard. Well, cause the getaway
1: driver law, where basically if you're in a car, or if, if someone is in a car, And they have a getaway driver to, say, for example, a gas station robbery. And if the person in the gas station kills someone, then the getaway driver is just as responsible. So it does seem an interesting application of law, since that is,
0: you know... That woman's still walking the street. Yes. So, yeah, it's a bit odd to me. But, of course, you also got those bargains that people can do in the background where they talk about, well, okay, well, if you testify against this person, we'll let you off with this. She might have got probation. I'd have to look into the case again. Mm -hmm. But it happened in the town where my ex-girlfriend was living, which was a couple miles outside of my town. little itty-bitty podunk. Uh, nothing really going on in that town. Couldn't even get good internet out there. I mean, just only dial-up.
1: Mm. Well, that's probably so, the reason that it occurred, you know. If you have good internet, you don't have good reasons to go shoot people. So, But uh, returning uh, to your idea of traditional values here, if I can frame the question and tell me if I'm off base. The notion is that we are in an ever-increasing flux ever-increasing change, basically, that we're seeing through a wide variety of things. The first thing is the internet. The internet provides an ability for people to communicate far more rapidly and throw ideas out and do it on an international scale where they can communicate with a wide variety of people that they've never been able to do so historically, which gets basically the individuals within the broader community in an active dialogue that they have to participate in, not like dialogue that they engaged in with the traditional media, And this brings about a sense of change. So what do traditional values do in these circumstances where people are actually saying, hey, these transgender folk aren't really the devil. I can actually see YouTube clips of them. They don't look that weird, you know. So why do we have all this hatred and animosity towards them? And how does the traditional values, or the traditional values here representing hatred and animosity towards transgender, react to these kind of things? Is this basically framing your question?
0: Well, it was like, what what's better now understanding where... People should draw the line between understanding tradition and moving forward in the future. But yeah, that does make out a lot of really, really good points. Like, here's an example. There's a transgender person that I don't really talk to. I watch her videos. She commented on two of my videos, one of which was uh, the first transgender homecoming queen, where I spoke out about my ideas on transgenderism, or if that's the correct term. The woman's name is Cat Black. I mean, you wouldn't be able to tell that she's transgender unless she told you. And She's got a wonderful boyfriend. She's living an amazing life. And she apparently, after the transition surgery, lives a more full and rich life than she could have otherwise. Because, you know, she was able to free herself of the mental shackles of living in a male body. Mm. I mean, that, that's how I look at it. And then feeling like you're a female in the head. But me, personally, I believe that if you're physically born a man, you should stay that way. You should understand the concepts of being a man and things of that nature because of numerous different things that can come into it. Like, example, I've met a few transgender individuals who had regrets after the surgery. I mean, they spent so much time believing that they're a female, and then after they had the surgery, oh my god, I'm not really a woman. I just have this mutilated penis and things of that nature. I mean, the best way I can describe that feeling was th- there's an episode of South Park. Oh my god, I'm actually using this or Mr. Garrison realizes, well, after having the transgender surgery, that he can't have kids. Mm-hmm. and So he just thinks, oh my god, I just have a mutilated penis and all that other crap like that. So this level of confusion that happens afterwards, I mean, because being a male or a female usually results in like a static identity.
1: It's interesting. I did a philosophy course, I don't know, maybe in my third year at university, and I think it was Foucault that talked about the nature of genital mutilation and the effect on transgender folk. It's a relatively old idea, relatively old meaning coming from the <laughs> 1960s. But the issue with regards to gender and the importance of gender, particularly for traditional societies, I mean, the homecoming queen, the transgender homecoming queen, but traverses the spectrum because the whole nature of gender in, you know, rural America is associated with football players and cheerleaders, which defines gender from you know high school on, gives young kids something to look up to and gives the older generation something to reminisce about because they've never left the town that they've lived in. And when you start crossing those kind of gender lines, you are seriously messing with the fabric of the society. So yeah, it's an interesting thought example in terms of what does this actually mean for traditional American values? Well, I have a very particular view associated with this. I'm not sure whether I should Continue in a great depth But I think the whole nature of gender in this society Is really really messed up It's very good for recruiting for the military And the armed services use The notion of gender very very strongly But outside the armed services You very rarely see circumstances Where gender is actually important So the traditional, you know, religious views, these kind of things, are very much associated with assisting the state and recruiting, you know, millions now of folk into the military. And this notion of gender is part of a continuation that really only helps, in this circumstance, the military, to my view. I can't think of any other organization, aside from obviously religious organizations, where the notion of gender is important at all. In fact, really, in our current society, as you note, it's pretty unimportant. I mean, if people who are transgender have all the same, you know, all the same functions in a society as everyone else. And the perspective or the demonization of them is only relates to professions and areas of interest where historical gender roles have been able to prop up the existing, you know, system, the military, what have you, and have never really been explored in any kind of thorough sense on a, kind of national level, at least, in the US. I mean, Don't Ask, Don't Tell is a good example of that, and even the... That's actually gone now. Yeah, I understand. And the fact <laughs> yeah. that it existed That's for 15 it. years, and it was seen as an amazing thing, i just keep keep your sexuality to yourself in the military. That's a generally positive thing. I mean, it's a very, very curious view on the world. I mean, in terms of gender definition, in terms of my analysis associated
0: with professional need for gender definition, does that make sense to you? Hmm. I'd have to wolf rewatch this part to get a complete sense of what you were trying to exactly. Well, okay. Act. Think, think
1: in the in modern day society, what kind of professions does your gender and your gender history? Uh, okay,
0: now I completely understand. Yeah, <laughs>
1: it's
0: just the wording in the last bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, me, I've always had this theory. Like, if you want somebody, if you want everything to work cohesively and okay, you lay down one set of ground rules. You don't pay any attention to gender, race, or age or anything of that nature. If you can fill out the ground rules, then everything's fine. Example, you see, like, feminism, when it began, was a great and wonderful thing, okay? Women having the right to vote and things of that nature. Women being able to get out of the house and work. I mean, some of the things that came about that, which I'll discuss in another video, maybe another time, weren't the greatest, but women being able to have the exact equal rights as men, which still not entirely there, is a great idea. But then you look at it now... A lot of these feminist groups are asking for special treatment of women, like example a woman's supposed to be uh how do I say it independent and all that other wonderful things, and yet you're still not allowed to hit them now I me, mean, my idea of ground rules laying the rules fat, flat hitting a woman wouldn't be any different than hitting a man, just as the woman hitting a man wouldn't be different as if the woman hit another woman mm. That's my idea of doing things laying the ground but if rules you look
1: and- at if you look at domestic violence statutes. Um, the ones I've looked at are in California and Nevada, places that i traditionally lived. But domestic violence statutes make no claim with regards to gender. What you're talking about here is a social norm that has been established because men shouldn't... Men have historically been the aggressors against women. And then you have this social norm that says that men shouldn't strike women, which I think in general is probably a very positive social norm. In terms of law, though... If a woman hits a man and leaves a mark, which is always a curious thing, but if that occurs, then the woman is guilty of domestic violence and the man can, in, you know, in the process of dealing with the police in these kind of circumstances, the police will typically look at the man and the woman and establish who has the more, who has more injuries typically or, you know, visible injuries. Sometimes both of them will go to prison. But what happens typically is that, um, the aggressor, irrespective of gender, will be the one who is immediately arrested. There's no law that says that men shouldn't hit women or women shouldn't hit men in that context associated with gender. The law is, in any circumstance of domestic violence, the police make an assessment associated with who is the aggressor. If both parties are aggressive, then both parties get arrested. If one is the aggressor, then the one who is the aggressor gets arrested. And that's the
0: law. That's the law, but that's not how things are done in through social constructs.
1: Yeah, but that's a separate to issue. My, I mean, my, my view is that If you are in a circumstance where you need to strike anybody, you probably need to think about the circumstance that you're in. Now, if you walk down an alleyway, as you have done, and you're in a point of confrontation, then you're in a point of confrontation through that. But in your general day-to-day life, and particularly as an adult, irrespective of circumstances that you're in, you should always be mindful that if you have to use aggression in your circumstances, then you probably need to remove yourself from those circumstances. So, yeah, I don't see the gender issue... Within that, I mean, the thing that I find curious associated with feminism as a concept is how much ground the feminists have been willing to give. Or, well, well, the notion is, is there such a thing now as feminism? Which I think is a far broader question. If you look at feminism as it existed in the 1960s, even the suffragette movement, you know, 19-teens getting the vote, what have you, they had very well-defined um, views that were part of a logical progression. But somewhere through the 1970s, 1980s to today, a lot of that logical progression stuff has been completely eliminated. And this is why you have um, the divide with regards to salaries and a wide variety of other constructs that have occurred, basically because at some point, I feel the same way with regards to civil rights, at some point the civil rights leaders as the feminist leaders decided to make compromises. They were basically comfortable in their own circumstances. And the progression, which had been charted up until that point, kind of trailed off and now has dipped back in a wide variety of ways.
0: Yeah, and I see that with a lot of civil things too. Like, example, me being a minority, that alone, gives me a higher chance of getting special government funding or whatever whatnot. Like, we see things like that all the time. Yes.
1: My question to you is, why aren't you exploiting it for as much as possible?
0: Yeah, it's like me. I'm a minority. I have all these special things which can get me... You know, if I was to go on welfare right now, I could probably make more than the young girl who's feeding her kid by herself Hmm. that that works at the gas station up there. I could probably make more than her in a month, just off welfare. But you can live t- with her,
1: because the welfare laws are constructed in such a way that if men and women cohabitate, the women don't get the welfare payments anymore. I mean, this comes from the 1960s, but it's a very, very strange law. The whole yeah. nature of the kind of welfare mother, in terms of having children, all you need to do is change the law, that basically either you modify the welfare or you allow a man to be in the environment as well, and you would change the social fabric. You'd probably actually reduce the welfare benefits over periods of time. It really is very, very curious.
0: But again, I guess... Eh, I feel like it's supposed to make you subservient to the system in some way, shape, or form.
1: Well, yes, it's interesting that the notion of family values, the people that would support family values on one side are perfectly happy for the existing welfare structure that requires you know, single welfare mothers. But again, I guess we're coming to... Certainly the analysis that I use in these things relates to change. So, in terms of the traditional views, and I do study, I mean, I'm very interested in the Constitution, I'm interested in folks who are constitutionalists, because I think it's a very interesting mindset, particularly associated with state migration. This idea that you're supposed to end up in a state where you agree with a majority of the stuff that's in the state is a very interesting idea. The problem is that the states have kind of aligned themselves in such a way that on a wide variety of issues, you can't actually find states that agree with you sufficiently, so you just end up where you end up, basically, if you feel that you have an ability to migrate between states. And when I first lived in this country solidly in '99-2001, I traveled but around by train, exclusively because the flights that I'd been on leading up, I'd flown for about three months solidly before getting here. I had my luggage stolen, I had a wide variety of things happen to me. So I decided to only travel by train when I was in the U.S for at least 18-month period. Through that period of time, I met a lot of people in my travels, and they were always really amazed that I'd been able to move to Silicon Valley, California, whereas it took so much effort to get from Australia to Silicon Valley in terms of just working, whereas anyone could have gotten on a train here and actually gone to Silicon Valley if they had the mindset that they actually were free to move within the country. So, yeah, if there's one seed idea that I like to give to people, it's this notion that the problems that exist where you are don't necessarily have to exist. You can move yourself from where you are Sure, it takes time, it takes energy, it takes savings, it takes motivation, but with doing that within this country is considerably easier than doing it to get to this country.
0: And it does take a little bit of sacrifice, like, let's say, a pothead in Colorado, because it's legal there now. There's some issues with law or whatever, they decide to move to Missouri, you got to give up the weed.
1: There's no way a pothead in Colorado is going to be leaving Colorado. If you've made your life smoking <laughs> weed, there's no way you're going to leave a place where it's legal to a place where it's <laughs> illegal. It's not going to happen. It's oh, the pothead God. in Missouri that needs to move to Colorado. I think that's the, oh, the idea.
0: Yeah. One of my friends actually wants to move over to Colorado just so he can grow a business. Exactly. You should encourage him. Uh, well, the problem with that is that me and him both don't have the money because I actually, even though I don't smoke weed, I won't, the amount of times I smoke weed, I can count on my fingers here. Mm-hmm. But I understand that it's not near as terrible as a lot of people like to make it out to be. Like. I swear to God, there are pictures all over my high school, especially on the counselor's office, of all these different drugs and their effects. And some of them were just blatantly not true, and one of which was it was an anti-weed poster and had this guy crying in a corner naked on the sidewalk. And it's just in black and white. And it's like, I never see that with weed. Uh, and you go, you hear these people who like to talk about how much they know about weed and how horrible it is, and they said that you're going to rob a 7-Eleven if you're high off weed. I've only wit- heard of one robbery... Involving marijuana, and I was actually there when that happened. And this is what happened: a guy high out of his mind walks into the gas station, goes to back to where the liquor section is, comes out, tries to leave with a bottle like a twenty some odd ounce, like you know, like big as your two liters mm-hmm. of some kind of cheap beer. And cashier's like, "Hey, you gonna pay for that?" Guy just looks over. Uh, you know what? Yeah. Walks up to him, hands him a twenty dollar bill, and just leaves. Doesn't do any of the extra change or anything, and just hands him a $20 bill and just leaves. That's the only time a robbery's ever happened. And I've, When I was at Job Corps, I mean, you're not supposed to have weed or c- certain types of cigarettes and things of that nature. People would be tense because they're isolated to that little campus. And while you're not allowed off, unless, well, you get a ride off, or if you do what I did and just spend your weekends out in the city and just pretend that you're going out on weekend pass, when really you're just screwing around the city. A lot of fights happened, and one of the things that would happen is um, there'd be a guy who'd look for wherever the tension was happening between two individuals, and he'd sell them both weed. That way they go from, I'm going to kill this motherfucker, to, you know, I'll, I'll let it go. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and as for traditional values in comparison with marijuana, uh, the reason why a lot of people look down on weed now, today, even though it's been legal in the country for a good portion of the country's existence... I mean, the Declaration of Independence was wrote on hemp paper, for Christ's sake, was because whenever that asshole, I can't remember, the guy who made Reefer Madness... In, and well, X-Slinger
1: is the, is the drug agent. He didn't make Reefer Madness, but yes, anyway.
0: Yeah, he he's did. involved. Yeah. From that onwards, we was looked at as this horrible, horrible thing, and we had the media throwing it in our face, telling us that it's horrible. And yet, I bet if you looked at a lot of those guys, they are probably potheads from behind the scenes anyways.
1: Or <laughs> well, they used amphetamines or, you know, various other substances. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, 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 cannabis is an interesting thing. I grew up in an area when I was thirteen I think cannabis was decriminalized in the area that I come from in Australia, Canberra. And basically it was easier to get than alcohol. My peers we'd just be walking down the streets and, you know, a guy would go and jump a fence and he'd come back with a seven foot plant. I mean, it was just everyone and their grandmother was growing weed. It was just... A seven-foot no, plant? Yeah. I've so, never seen a
0: seven-foot plant. It's
1: quite a thing to see, particularly when you're walking down a lit road. Um But no, sativa grows... Sativa can you can get nine, ten-foot plants easily. I mean, if it grows... This is the thing, that if it's grown in someone's closet or under hydro lamps or what have you, then it's going to be four, five foot, maybe six foot. If you grow it out in the wild or, you know, out and getting natural sunlight and what have you in the areas that it's been hybridized to grow in, it can grow substantially tall. I mean, the original hemp plants, the, the fiber plants would grow seven feet easily. So, you know, the plant can quite capably grow as, as much as the roots and the nutrients will, uh, Will allow it to do. But yeah, it was omnipresent where I was in Australia. I mean, my decision was more to do with responsibility. The area that I come from, a, a number of the folks that I know are, are still heavy cannabis users. But in my circumstance, I had to look after my brothers. I had to cook and clean and do maintenance on the house and a wide variety of other things. I had responsibilities which didn't allow me to, you know, spend inordinate quantities Part of time t- smoking weed. And it's interesting, actually. I think the best anti drug Commercials are actually when you live in a place where it's decriminalized and you see people who are just slowing down. They're just kind of dysfunctional in their environments. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, there, are, there are people that can use cannabis and remain perfectly functional and these kind of things, but it is when My young people friend. use it, you know, when teenagers use and what have you, it has a, it has an effect on them. And within a society where you have to, I mean, the interesting thing where I come from in Australia is it had substantial youth unemployment, but yet cannabis was legal. They tried working on heroin being decriminalised for a period of time. It was a very depressed area as well. It had weather like, I mean, even worse than kind of Seattle, Washington in terms of the environment so it was just a bunch of depressed kids that couldn't get jobs they would sit around and smoke weed and that was basically it which interestingly enough i mean your point associated with criminalization versus decriminalization i think there is a difference i mean i think while it's relatively easy for folks even through criminalization to get access to cannabis in this country when it's decriminalized you just have i mean the phenomena associated with plants for example you just have an ability to get access to it that you don't get and in an area where it's still criminalised. The interesting thing as well is that the police still take an active interest in cannabis even when it becomes decriminalised. They just use it as a means of, uh, what's the term, like racially profiling people. It's like a class profile thing. So if people, if the police saw, you know, folks using cannabis, then they immediately started profiling them for a wide variety of other things. They're like Grateful Dead stickers in this country. You know, you're probably a bit too young for the deadhead phenomenon. But uh, if people have Grateful Dead stickers on their cars, they're far more likely to be pursued by the police. And it's a similar phenomenon, basically, associated with cannabis, even after decriminalization. The law enforcement still looks at it. Ron Paul's with Ron Paul bumper stickers on their cars now. Yeah, I think Ron Paul's a bit of a conundrum, actually, because he's an authoritarian who's made a history of himself, branding himself as a libertarian, which ultimately just means that people in this country are never really sure what libertarian actually means. Um But, yeah, I think Ron Paul's a curious character because his views are not in any way libertarian by my perspective on libertarian thought. In fact, it's really very curious that a man who believes in things like states' rights and, you know, or is against abortion and against a wide variety of other things, which you would think relate to social liberties in some fundamental sense, can still call himself a libertarian. Yes, he might appear libertarian compared to Mitt Romney, but the broader question is, you know, what is Mitt Romney what is Ron Paul, what is libertarian, not Ron Paul is a libertarian. Hmm. I need to take
0: that mindset when I think about things more. Well,
1: I think words have meaning, and words can be degraded by the poor use of them, but it doesn't mean that they don't actually have meaning. It doesn't mean that the word libertarian doesn't relate to complete individual freedom, removed from government and also corporate control. And the problem in this country is that there's an organisation called the Cato Institute, which is basically funded (laughs) Cato, C-A-T-O. Now, I have a friend on Facebook who used to be part of the Cato Institute, and I'm not, well, I'm let, me, let me be frank. I'm not, I'm not a strong advocate of the Cato Institute's influence on libertarian thought, because what it means is, it isn't just the government is evil in these circumstances, it's that the corporations also enact a similar kind of control over people. In this country in particular, the corporations are the government. I mean, you can't look at the government and not see its corporate, you know, its corporate advocacy role. Completely removed from social freedoms. Too big to fail. Exactly. Well, that's just corporate welfare, which is another
0: <laughs> Yeah. Another it, one of the things that I absolutely love that Gerald Salente, one of the people who I listen to almost religiously, I mean, I don't agree with everything he says, but I agree with a lot of what he says, is that in capitalist society, there is no too big to fail. If you're a corporation, you fuck up mm. and you're going to the ground. You're going to the ground. Yes. And that's what I believe should be done oh, but what about those people who are going to become unemployed because of this? Unfortunately, that's how the reality of things should work. Well, the people that could
1: have kept their houses, I mean, if the banks had actually been allowed to fail, and if they had actually been allowed to foreclose on their responsibilities, then you'd have an interesting discussion associated with what happens with the people who are in their houses that the banks are trying to kick out. Well, if the banks are illegitimate, then the people should be allowed to stay. You know, then you actually have an economic uplift, which you don't get through what occurred. The interesting thing associated with that whole process was the role of the police in this circumstance. When I lived in Nevada, the police worked for the banks because the police don't collect Taxes they don't they're not paid through the people that live in the state of Nevada. they're paid effectively by the tourists. They exist as an independent entity in these kind of roles, and the banks basically hired the police forces to kick people out of their houses, irrespective of whether or not they were legally entitled to stay in their houses or not. The banks have said this person out. The police went in and did that. And the legal process that's supposed to be used in these kind of things didn't occur. But yeah, I'm. I the notion of corporate welfare never actually gets back to the people. There's no trickle-down economics associated with corporate welfare. But yet, yeah, there's a strong advocacy associated with corporate welfare, which just makes very little sense to
0: me. Hmm. Hey, you just taught me a bunch of things I didn't know. Like the whole thing with Nevada and the banks. Yeah. Like, I swear I knew, learned ten new things every single time I listen to you. We should be getting back to the original subject at hand, tradition... Embracing new ideas, whatever, what not. I believe that there needs to be a fine line with personal social, nothing enforced by law, but personal social ideals. Like example, okay, there's a bunch of people trying to bring in a new idea, or at least they think it's new. You look at what their idea is, and you look at how it's worked in the past. And like I was going at with the uh, Adam Lanza gun control idea... People want to start limiting when kids can use guns, for example, because they think all kids are too irresponsible and they don't know how to use guns. Well, I've never heard of a kid being using a gun at a young age without the father or a guardian or supervisor of some sort there watching them, making sure that they don't blow their face off. That's one example that I can speak very clearly on. So
1: can I talk to that? Because I think the problem is actually considerably more primary. The first part of that is that you're giving a degree of legitimacy to a quote-unquote debate that is occurring. But what actually is occurring is more like a puppet show. I mean, what you see through the media in this country, but also the whole notion of the way the political system exists here, is just purely a puppet show. It's not actually about... It's about showing you something which, for a majority of the population, or perhaps increasing increasing minority of the population, they feel comfortable with watching. But in actuality, it's not changing anything it's just to give you a sense that those folk over in washington are having a discussion associated with something it's not actually doing any form of change the whole notion of how change occurs in a society is a very interesting thing but i wanted to i would want to say that change never occurs in a society through these existing social hierarchies the folks in washington want to continue the same puppet show indefinitely it's very good for them no matter whether they're democrats republicans what have you It continues to pay them, but it doesn't actually enact anything on the ground in terms of change. I think gun control is an interesting one in this country because none of the analysis that I see on either side actually relates to firearms in any way, shape or form. There's this notion of the bad guns. There's this notion of the, you know, bad magazines or clips or whatever they choose to call them at any given time. But there's no notion of, um, well, in the case of Adam Lanza, I think a lot of the gun debate actually goes back to healthcare. I think a lot of the gun debate actually relates to the fact that if you don't have people who have access to adequate mental health care and they have this strange relationship with regards to these antipsychotic drugs and you have all these other pressures that just exist then you're going to see the kind of violence that's enacted in this society very periodically. The thing that surprises me is that there aren't, there isn't more gun violence in the US. The thing that surprises me is that people aren't... I mean, the poor in this country, for example, aren't arming themselves and doing a wide variety of things. Because when you see things like the government cutting unemployment, long-term unemployment benefits... You know, I'm amazed that people don't organise in a fashion and react in, you know, a way that's proportional to the kind of assaults that are being done to them. It seems to me very, very strange that more people don't react very violently in this country, if anything. I mean, I talk to people outside the U.S., I think it's a strong statement for the American people in some regard that people aren't more violently active associated with the kind of thing that they see before them. But there's a degree, as you describe, of passivity. This whole notion that anything, that there's any form of change going on here is very, very curious. In fact, what we're just seeing is this puppet show, the underlying problems, the underlying discussion associated with addressing them. I mean, take, for example, imagine the kind of vehicles that were being driven at the time where you know, the U.S. Constitution, the U.S. government, the whole political process was formed. Nothing has modernised with regards to that process ever since. All that's happened is that they've basically been exchanging scraps of paper, doing various bits and pieces, backroom deals, making sure that they're all paid, everything's right for them, they have the best possible health care they can possibly get, and they continue this puppet show, which other people kind of talk about in a notion of social debate. But in actual fact, the only way that you can get meaningful change is through this kind of discourse on one front, but also constructing a potential thing that should be there instead of what exists there currently. So, for example, the fact that you and I can talk over a computer and you and I can discuss issues and we can have an opinion should mean that our opinions are valued in some degree, but they have no value in Washington. Our opinions are meaningless. In fact, everyone who has this discussion with another person is just basically having a meaningless discussion in terms of the politics of what exists in Washington. It's very curious that we can exist as individual entities and not have some, you know, responsible interest other than voting for these people every two or four years, depending on how you look at it. So with the vain hope they will enact the kind of change that we need. I think the problem is quite fundamental here, and it relates to the political system. The only way you can address this is by actually talking about what we're doing here in the context of it being completely meaningless and what's going on in Washington, and then start speculating what would the ideal political system look like. So for your viewers, I. proposed the following. As we interact like this, we could easily vote on these things. So my background is with technology. So I have a certain bias associated with technology. But what happened and what I saw happening in technology through the 90s and through 2000 was this notion of outsourcing. Every single job was outsourced. The professions that weren't outsourced, I found very, very curious, particularly politicians. I think as individuals within a society, we should start asking, why haven't our politicians been outsourced? What is the role of these people in Washington? Why can't we as individuals create a a process where we vote on ideas, we vote on issues, we talk about them, and it returns to the fact that the individuals within the society have the degree of political control that we have subjugated, passed on, given to these folks who have absolutely no connection with our ideas and instead create this puppet show, which we can see on our television sets, and don't actually, you know, they're not part of any dialogue, they're not part of any debate. They live in a completely different, completely membranous universe from us, And until we start having a discussion associated with why have we, as thinking people, allowed this to occur, and how can this change in the future, we're going to continue to have this kind of vaudeville-like state where you and I can talk and we can talk with, you know, tens, hundreds of other people, but nothing actually changes in any meaningful way. It's just a kind of continued puppet show associated with the news media associated with the politicians but the whole system has been designed for something that is so far removed from the way we live our lives now in a modern you know industrial computerized society that it's almost offensive to even really think that what they're doing has got anything to do with what we do
0: (laughs) precisely but that was quite long-winded so can you give a very very short version So I think that within we should aim
1: for, within our lifetimes, to have changed the political system that exists, and we have technology that enables this change to exist. So independently, if you think about what Facebook has done for social communication, there should be a political, in inverted commas, equivalent of Facebook, where we can vote on topical issues, and we can show that this will actually enact more change than what exists in the political sphere. Now, politicians are not going to move to this system through, you know, the existing way that it is. But there are things that we can show through this kind of technological solution that should actually enable them to move towards it through a variety of yet uncharted means. But I think the problem in this country is that people don't see, well, it's an international phenomena, but people don't see that the kind of change that they get with regards to technology, the fact that you and I can talk on video, that we could have corresponded via... You know, Facebook, all these things shouldn't also extend to the very fundamentals that kind of govern, you know, our environment. It seems very strange that we are comfortable with 200, 400 year, really 600 year in many regards, political ideologies that don't function, create this kind of dysfunctional distance. These wars, these, um, you know, war crimes fundamentally that exist in a remote fashion. And yet we talk about the political system like it's something that we might actually be able to influence and affect. In its current form, we have no means of influencing affecting. What we need to do is chart a way where we can use technology to fundamentally change the political system, because the way that it stands currently in no way relates to anything that you and I can discuss. Hmm. That's a good way of putting it. I think we're far too complacent. We wouldn't put up with the kinds of problems that we see in our political system with our technology. We wouldn't put up with it with regards to automobiles. We wouldn't put up with it with regards to housing or any other area. Why are we still complicit with regards to the political system? And why do we continue to write blank checks, basically, to a system that has fundamentally failed, that has created this elaborate war on terror, which followed the elaborate war on drugs? But the difference with the war on terror is it's actually killing people at a far higher number, and there are people that will have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren that will come back and attack us continuously going forward for this thing that we've had no contributed influence on. It's just existed out there like this puppet show, but it's a puppet show that has very real effects back on us. And I think, you know, that people are very passive-associated with the understanding the political system that it should be about, you know, gradual change or what have you. There's been no gradual change. It's been just a constant kind of degradation of rights and understanding. And we're now at a stage where we should, as a kind of global internet community have this kind of dialogue and say, rather than what exists currently, what would we like the political system to look like? And then let's have that discussion. Why does this notion have to be that the political system currently is broken? and let's look back historically at the Constitution? Why don't we say, what do we want the political system to be in the future? Clearly, it should have some of the technological advancements, some of the amazing things that have been used in order to expand communication and the transfer of ideas. So what does that political system look like? clearly doesn't look like the system that we have currently, but what should it look like? What should it look like? Uh, that'd take a lot of thought on my part. Well, I think that's—I mean, that's what I'm advocating in terms of your your viewers—that you should think about the political system as something that is just as capable of change as your personal computer is, or as any other thing that you interact with. And as as it exists as an abstract entity, firstly, what should it look like? Secondly how is this diseased mess that we have currently enabled to maintain and how do we move to what it should look like from what it is currently? And I think that's a very different question that I see being framed a lot of the YouTube discussion. There seems to be a lot of kind of... I mean, I don't really even understand how people can kind of coherently affiliate themselves with any political party or any political movement. Well, the
0: the reason why they believe in the current system that we have The reason why they affiliate themselves with certain parties and whatever whatnot is because they actually believe in it. Sort of like a lot of people believe in religion, but you know, on a man to man basis rather than man to God. They believe that if they vote for whoever, their way of doing things is actually going to go be upheld.
1: But if you understand, if you understand what a Reagan Republican is versus a George Bush Republican versus a Mitt Romney Republican, you can do the same thing with Democrats. They're completely incoherent. The political parties weave through so many different ideas that the notion that somebody has a set set of beliefs that is then continued through the political parties is always a very interesting thing. When you actually talk to people, when you talk to fundamentalist Christians, when you talk to creationists, you find that their views with regards to a set of things is actually different than you might have previously gathered. So what you see when you talk to people who say that they're Republicans, well, what kind of Republican are you? Who was the best Republican leader, you know, over the past 30, 40 years? A lot will say, Reagan. What did you like about Reagan's policies? You know, when you start actually working on defined things, the contemporary Republican Party is so far removed from Reagan Republicanism that you start to actually work through these things. But you need to, obviously, you need to have a coherent understanding of what these things mean. But I found on a one-to-one basis, you're right, it is like religion, because once, once the one instigator has gone out of the room, it's very easy for people to go back to the warm fuzzy that they get. But if you start thinking about your own beliefs critically, you start to realise whatever political party affiliation you have, the political party really doesn't represent your views. You're just willing to compromise on so many different issues to affiliate, basically, with the political party that you end up saying, oh, yes, I vote for them. Now, a lot of people are born into political parties as well, which is a phenomenon that I find very, very strange. Sometimes you see conversions within that, but I think the statistics that I like are the statistics that show people over time moving away from both major political parties in this country. And from that, hopefully they will have a sufficient set of fractured views that they can form their own ideas associated with what they're looking for and then work out, you know, coherently what that actually means. But you're right. There is a strong element of belief that is adhered to by people that adhere, that say, you know, I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat or, you know, I'm a, Constitutionalist or all these kind of things. But within that, you typically find that they've lost, they've lost faith somewhere through the process associated with their original views. And they've allowed themselves to kind of maintain through that. And in a one-to-one conversation, it's actually really interesting to talk to people like that because you say, so when George Bush Jr. came through, you know, he was so far from Reagan in terms of uh, personal liberties. He was certainly a social welfare guy. Sorry. Uh, um, well, he was a social welfare guy as well, but moving from that. He was a corporate welfare guy. You know, you have all these contradictions, basically, within political affiliations, which I think are actually really very interesting. Now, you're right, you need to spend a bit of time actually reading and researching what these various things mean. But once you show someone that you have a degree of understanding in that light, you can typically work through, you know, where these things have gone wrong. And I think what's interesting is that actually rather than a single set of views, which is what, you know, people would want, certain groups would want you to think, that a Republican believes X, Y, Z, you know, Republican typically has so many different beliefs within that party that you can typically work through them, similarly Democrats. I mean, the the, the notion of the Democratic Party has changed dramatically from the 60s through to to today. Clinton, Clinton Clinton's Obama, you basically get the same people behind the, scenes you get a few more republicans with obama but you get a very interesting picture it's very interesting actually the language that's used about obama because he seems to be passing a lot of the same legislation that the republicans were proposing in the 80s so if you understand coherently obamacare is basically the same health care law that mccain and others tried to push through in the 1980s because they wanted everyone on private health care
0: it's also pretty much what Mitt romney did wherever exactly. uh, yeah. Mitt Romney was from massachusetts right yeah
1: so there's this thing online called the political compass. And what the political compass says is that there are two there are two dimensions of politics. You've got authoritarian and libertarian, and then you've got left and right. And Obama and Romney, so they divide authoritarian, libertarian, left and right. It becomes a square, basically. And your views, they survey you, and your views exist somewhere on this square. It's not just that you're on the left and the right. You have an authoritarian, libertarian as well. So, Obama and Romney, in the last election, there are 20 by 20, so there are 400 different squares on this grid. Obama and Romney, in terms of Obama's actions and what Romney says and vice versa, were in exactly the same square. So, everything else... Mind blown. Everything Mind else... I too. You sent it to me a while back. Politicalcompass.org. Everyone can go there, you can go through the survey, you can work out where you sit, which in and of itself is very interesting.
0: Here, right here on the page at... I gotta check what time it is right now. Uh, okay, so I know exactly where to go when I leave the link.
1: Okay.
0: Oh, we're at fifty-four minutes. Yeah. <laughs> There's no short conversation
1: with me, unfortunately, Marty.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh God! It's like I, I I was actually aiming for a ten-minute conversation. Here I am, like fifty. Not happening. It's not happening. <laughs> oh God! But still, political compass. Okay, where were we at again? We were talking about how the two
1: political parties are really the same thing. Yeah. Exactly. How mysteriously the corporate funders have been able to get them to agree on so much and disagree on such a small number of things that in a 20 by 20 grid, they reside in the same square.
0: Hmm. So what does this say about the political process? What does this say about the politicians you actually vote for? To me, that says that they're really nothing more than just paid actors fulfilling whatever role they can in yeah. order to get their uh, campaign... Contributions, aka the bribe money from the corporations. That's still the
1: same conversation. I mean, the the folks that interest me. I mean, people that talk about the new world order, for example, which is a phenomenon that's existed for at least twenty years and probably dates back to the nineteen forties. Whenever I meet people who talk about the new world order. I always say to them, okay, so that's a given. That's been a given since basically the United Nations was first formed. What's your prescription? How does this work for you? Rather than just reciting the same old diatribe associated with the Rothschilds et al., the uh,
0: reptilian overlords... Uh, I every single time I hear somebody bring in the reptilians.
1: I don't know. I've I've met the queen. She clearly Uh, is a reptile. But moving on from that. The next question I ask them is, so what? what is your prescription? What is your plan to do? How... How do you as an individual work in this circumstance?
0: Okay. Sorry about that, Tom. My internet died. Mom mom probably got on. Start- <laughs> ah, well, we might be at a natural conclusion here, Marty, anyway. I think we might be breaking
1: YouTube when this gets uploaded and stuff. So, <laughs> well, What we should probably agree to do is just have another conversation uh, sometime in the future.